Ron and Anian. Tony's not here today. I noticed that. Um, Tony's mother called. Yeah. Tony's in trouble. Uh-oh. Tony had to go see mom. Uh-oh. Tony had to go see mommy? Yeah, but I think she's just coming up for a surprise visit. That's the worst kind. Car doctor. Business has changed. The industry is changing. The tolerances are getting tighter. The technology is increasing. In a lot of ways, cars are getting simpler, but you still need the understanding and the training to properly repair it. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. And a nod to the late, great Adam West. Start your engines. Ron and Annie and the car doctor is about to open the garage doors and pop your hood. Let's see what's going on under there. 855-560-9900. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the car doctor here at your beck and call, ready to sit down and talk to you about your car problems, whatever they might be. This is the place where people seem to get a lot of information, and we try to give out as much as we can the next two hours, talking about your automobile and you know how to deal with it. Maybe it's got a mechanical problem or something going on that nobody else can resolve, or maybe you've got a problem with your mechanic. Maybe you're the mechanic and you've got a problem with a customer. Maybe you're just trying to figure out how to communicate better. Well, I take pride in exchanging with you my 43-plus years of information that I've uh, been working on cars and try to expel it out to you and uh, sit down and talk to you about your car and solve that particular problem, whatever it might be. This is the place where we like to do that on the weekends, 855-560-9900. Um, other usual places to get a hold of us, cardoctorshow.com is where you can podcast. You can also get uh, podcasting at TuneIn, iHeart, iTunes, all the usual spots, ron at cardoctorshow.com. I always give out the email if you need me during the week. And uh, yes, I do reply to my email. No, I do not have a staff of 40. Um, I have a staff of about four. Uh, you know, two here, two at the shop, and uh, we just continue to bang out this radio show each and every week as we have for the past 26-plus years. And uh, we continue to plan to do it for many, many years to come. Um, that is if technology allows us. I've got a couple of things in front of me today. Uh, one of them is an article, Cars Ready to Drop Drivers This Year. And this is out of, uh, let's see, what is it? NorthJersey.com is out of the record here in New Jersey. Self-driving taxis and vans to be tested in France without human backup. Well... You know, there's a lot you could say. There's probably a joke in there somewhere, being that it's France, but we'll try to keep it straight. But uh, autonomous vehicles with no human backup will be put to the test on publicly traveled roads as early as next year. What may be the first attempt at unassisted autonomous piloting? Autonomous electronics and parts maker Delphi and French French transport company Transdev plan to use autonomous taxis and a shuttle van to carry passengers on roadways in France. Doesn't France have enough problems? Isn't there enough going on there that they don't need the distraction of people in self-driving cars? Uh, it, it, it's just, wow. Um, interesting thought, and Tom handed me this before we went on air today. In Arizona, Google will pay people $20 an hour to sit in a self-driving car. You know, go for a ride. Just 
no backup. Just would you take the chance? Would you do it for twenty bucks an hour? Is it is it is it something feasible? I've got the article around here somewhere. We'll talk about that a little bit later on this hour as well. Um, but self-driving cars are coming. Technology is changing, and you know it's it's going to happen a lot faster than than I can possibly imagine. Than I think we all can imagine. I think it's going to be here in the blink of an eye, and then we'll just have to decide how much of it do we want to put up with. And that's going to be the catch. I also wanted to talk a little bit about. I've got an, I've got a letter here from Jerry. Jerry is a uh, he's a fan up there in uh, New Hampshire. I think it was New Hampshire. Let me look back at the end here. Uh, yeah, New Hampshire. Jerry has some questions about um, his own auto repair shop. But I see the phones are backed up already. And let me bail Tom out before he uh, has a problem. Let me go take a quick call, and then we'll come back to the conversation about Jerry. Let's go up to George in New Gloucester, 03 Silverado, return call about a misfire. George, welcome back. What's going on? Okay. Uh, I've done a little bit of troubleshooting. Okay. Uh, fuel uh, is 52 pounds, key on, 50 pounds engine running, and I'm getting 24 ounces of gas in 45 seconds. Okay. Fuel, so I think we're, fuel pump's good. good. Yeah. And, and it, was, it, was yeah. A, it was a good clear fuel sample, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, crystal clear. Now, now let me ask you this, okay. George. Two questions yeah. for you. How hard yeah. was it? How hard was it to do that test? Uh, it was real easy once I got the tester. Right, and and now how how good and how confident do you feel in your approach to this vehicle? You know it's not real fuel, good. right? Yeah, you know it's not. You yeah. know it's not a fuel pump. You, you right. did. You did the test. So right. Um, you know, the only other thing you could do is if you if you drove it. I don't know if you happened to drive it with the with the fuel pressure gauge duct taped to the windshield. If you drive it and you have the problem and fuel pressure stays rock solid at 50 PSI, then you know it's not the pump in any way, shape, or form. And that would be about the right. only other thing you could do, you know, checking fuel pressure. But I like where right. you're going with this. So okay. go ahead. What's your uh, what's your now, next question? Okay. You, you wanted me to, to do some other checks. Uh, compression, number three, is at 160. All the rest are at 180, 185. Okay, so okay. where was where was OBD two reporting the misfire on three? I couldn't I couldn't find a way to get a data stream out of the the uh, scanner. Okay, okay. No, it, it was a P three hundred if I oh three hundred if I remember right. It was right. a random misfire fault. All right, multiple yeah. Okay, multiple okay. multiple cylinder misfire. Right. So yeah, the main question. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. The main question I have for you right now is uh, the plugs and wires supposedly were replaced 15,000 miles ago, but I don't like, oh, on the plugs, uh, all of them except number one were a nice golden brown. What number one looked like? Number one was a little black. Not, Not foul black, but a little black. Right, like cooler temperature. Okay. All right. Um. Anyway, my main question is, what would you recommend for plugs and wires? On an 03 Silverado? Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you, go with some AC Delco stuff. No reason, okay. No reason why not. Uh, okay. Eliminates the obvious. You're going to pay a little more, but you're going to get a lo- you're going to get a lot more. Well, I, I you know at this point I don't care. You know right. I want some I want good quality stuff in there. Right. So. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I think I think uh, you know when it comes to ignition, I'm going to fix it here like I fix it in the shop. It's Delco on GM. Yeah. It's Motocraft on Ford, and 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 so on. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. You know. Now while you're down there picking out a scanner. I mean, while you're down there picking out ignition wires and plugs, how about we pick out a yeah. scanner and then you could, you could you could get to that side of the equation? Right. 
you yeah, know? That's it. We talked a little bit about the, uh, uh, oh, shoot, the X430 one X, that you X431, used. right, yep, yep. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm looking pretty hard at that. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the neat, yes. I'll tell you the newest one they just came out with, launch came out with, is, I yep. think it's called the Millennial, or the Millennium. Okay, um, it, I think I saw that, yeah. Yeah, we were just playing with one of those in the shop this week. It was under 100 bucks. It does a very nice printout. It does data stream. I don't know if it did mode 6 data. But if that tool okay. did if that tool does mode 6 data, if you can go in and look at misfire information in mode 6 mm-hmm. for 100 bucks, yeah. You know, you could use it. You'd never have to update it. Use it for a year, throw it away, go buy another one. Uh, <laughs> okay. What's, what's what's the point? I mean, you know, it's Right. You know, it, it it amazes me sometimes. You know, I just bought sneakers this morning. I had to get a new pair of sneakers, yeah. and I I don't have time to go to the store. I know what size I am. I know what fits. I went online. I bought two pairs. Actually, I bought three. And I was at the chiropractor doing it because they were my feet are beat up, and they're like, "Well, why do you buy three? I say, "Because then I have inventory and I know what works. And in four months, I'm just going to throw these out and buy an, and put the other ones on and keep a rotating. You know, it's cheaper to throw things away in some cases. I mean, a scan tool is a hundred <laughs> yeah. bucks. A hundred yeah. bucks. Throw it away. Buy okay. another one. Um, you know, see what that gets you. All right, kiddo. Okay. So now they they'll have all the specifications right on their website, right? Who will uh, launch? Yeah. Yes, they will, and I believe the website is launchtechusa.com, or you can call them at their 800 number. They do give out. They are very good with information. Tell them what you're looking for. Now, I will say okay. this. I will say this, that you know, the, the more you spend on a scan tool, and this is, mm-hmm. I think, generic across the board, regardless of manufacturer, the easier things are to look for and look at. All right. Okay. You know, if if a Millennium has Mode Six in it, and an X Four Thirty One has Mode Six in it, and their bigger Pad Two has Mode Six in it, you, you know, I would think the Pad Two with a bigger processor and you know all the things that it has, mm-hmm. it's easier to display all that information. It's 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 a okay. matter of your dollars. What what fits your budget, and and then okay. kind of take it from there. So, all right, sir. Very good. Oh, one quick question. Sure. If you, uh, uh, as general maintenance, I'm probably going to replace the water pump and the alternator and stuff because I use a truck for plowing in the winter and I need to depend on it. Okay. I see. I noticed there's uh, on some aftermarket water pumps you have to change the thermostat housing and stuff too. Would you recommend going to OEM? Which which uh, engine was this? This was the six liter. Oh, six liter. Six, six liter. liter. Yeah. Absolutely. I just we just okay. did a. I can tell you pricing. <laughs> The the we just we just did this pump this week in the shop. We did an 03 Tahoe, all right, with yep. a five three, same pump, all right. right. Uh, there's a Delco Professional and then there's Delco OE. The price difference was about sixty bucks more for the GM OE. We we yep. put the GM OE on. I think it had a price of about two hundred fifty bucks or something like that. Yeah. And then we bought a, the thermostat comes as part of the housing. Bought a oh, G, okay. bought a GM OE Staten housing. You know, out of the uh, you know out of the Delco family. Uh, you know what? You, you can't say anything bad about it. some of the things Delco makes are really good. I've got some problems okay. with Delco right now with their brake calipers. 
Um, mm-hmm. They, they were, were kind of having an argument, uh, not an argument. Oh, was that a Freudian slip? We're having a conversation. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're working on it to get them to improve their, uh, their, their quality there. But, you know, th- their other stuff, there's nothing like OE in, in, in a lot of cases, and that's one of them. So, but absolutely. Okay. And if you're plowing with it, does your truck have an oil cooler on it? Yes. Uh, take a look it, at yeah. take a look at the engine oil cooler lines running along the driver's side of the block. Yeah. Just make sure they're not rusting and rotting and starting to corrode, <laughs> because that's they do that. And also take a look at the fuel line running over the top of the transmission. Yeah. Make sure that's not rotted away. Yeah, that needs to be replaced too. Yeah. yeah. Say yeah. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. You know what the problem is, George. I can I can convince you to look hard enough. You'll be looking. You'll be looking at a new truck, which is a bad thing. I'd rather have you see you keep this one and put a little money in it. Uh, right. All right, brother. Okay. Thank you. You're very welcome. Good luck to you, and uh, let us know what happens. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. The car doctor's coming back. Don't go away. Hey, welcome back. We're on the car doctor. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Thanks for sticking around and uh, tuning in this hour, and hopefully next as uh, we continue the march to fix all of America's broken cars. Let's go over and talk to Tony Parkridge, Illinois. And I have to tell you, I, I know who this is. This is, uh, I consider Tony a friend. He's been a regular listener out of the car doctor for some time. And you are a friend and a pal, too. Uh, uh, Last week, you, I was, we, I listened to you walking the track at the health club. I listened to you on the podcast on Mondays and Tuesdays. And you, you said something, you went to that seminar for the techs. Right. And there was only like 27 or 37 guys showed up in the state area. Yeah, 27. And I stopped in my tracks and I says, where are the craftsmen in this country? There's... Where are the guys that used to put in the furnaces and where are the electricians and the carpenters? Where are those guys now? You, if you get one good carpenter out of 10, you're lucky. You have to search for guys that know how to fix things. Right. It's, right. it's, it, it, it amazes me. Does everybody have to go to college to get a degree in art history? Well, yeah. Um, art therapy, art history. And I'm not picking on, you know what, I'm not picking no. on categories no. and careers, Tony. But one of the phenomena, and I always think about this, how come there were so many good mechanics, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and then they've kind of, you know, petered away? I think it was because of hot rods. I, I hate to say it like this. You know, we had the Second World War. The Second World War, all those bomber crews came back, all those guys that were mechanics fixing planes and tanks and everything else. That evolved into hot rodding in the 40s and the 50s, making cars go faster. Uh, you know, Halibrand wheels. Um, if I remember right, the guy who created Halibrand racing wheels was a bomber crew chief. Uh, you know, all these stories can get traced back to that point in time. And that created the muscle car boom of the 60s and people working on cars and, you know, just some very – it brought out the mechanical skills of, of, of the population. And then we got away from that. You know, we were at breakfast this morning at the deli. We go to breakfast right down the road here in, in Franklin Lakes at the, at the Franklin Lakes Country Cafe. And I had a laugh. It was my wife, myself, and mom. We were sitting there having breakfast, and I'm looking around. We're talking, all right, you know, the three of us. There's two couples to the left, a, a table of two each, and a father-son to my right. And all of them, to a person, are on the, the box, as I call oh. it. Tick, 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 oh. tick, texting. I'm like. 
What the hell? Did Make, it Make it stop. What did we come out for? Like, you know, we could sit home and have cold eggs and, and do it there. Like, But why don't the parents say something? Listen, I don't want, this is, I don't want to get into no, a political this, form. You're, you're, a, you're, you're, a, you're a car mechanic technician, and believe me, you're, you're a sensible guy, and myself and about seven or eight hundred retired policemen, Really look forward to listening to your show. Well, I, I, we I we, we you. listen to you like the ladies listen to one like. Well, I, I, you know what, and I and I try not to make it political. I try to keep it about know, cars. It's 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 just tough because you're right. The 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 kids today, you know, the problem is the kids are only as good as they're taught. And and maybe that's why I like the '60s and the '70s because I learned this business on my own fixing cars. Because I had Hands to. Hands on. Hands on. To. You got down and dirty. Right. I had to. I went to college in an old car that I literally fixed on the side of the Garden State Parkway every couple of days. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that, that was the deal. That was the struggle. All right. Yeah. And and today that doesn't exist because, as you say, we take out $200,000 in loans and we go off to college to get a career in whatever. And then they come out yeah. and say, I can't find a job. Well, you know. Yeah. Um, but yet the auto industry, I'll turn it back to that, the auto industry is now talking about the extreme shortage of technicians in this field in the next five to seven years. Because, you know what, I, I, I'm 61 in August, Tony, I'm not ashamed to admit it. Yeah. How long am I going to do this? Oh, I'd like to think I'll do it another 10, 15 years. But, you know what, I know time is going to take its toll, the body's going to break down sooner or later. You know what, every quarterback has to retire. And the kids that are coming up, Danny will be okay, the one who works for me, because Danny's been with me. I've shown Danny. Yesterday we were taking a pit. I'll tell you the story, then I'm going to go. We were taking a pitman arm off of a Suburban yesterday. It's frozen, rusted, snotted up to the steering box like it doesn't want to move. All right? Danny said, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? I got out the whizzer. I notched the pitman arm. I I heated it a little bit. Not cherry. Just gave it a little bit of heat. Hit it with some water, took the air chisel, wedged it into the crack. It cracked like ice cream and fell right off. And he goes, how did you know to do that? I go, well, I shocked it from the cold water. I learned that at metallurgy in college when I went to college for metal fabrication. And um, it's just common sense. He goes, I never saw anybody do that before. You know what? He'll take that to his grave and he'll teach the next guy. And that's what's wrong with the industry. Nobody's teaching anybody anything. Anthony, as always, to you and all the boys and girls in blue, thank God and God bless you for all you do. And I appreciate you being there. Ron and and the car doctor coming back right after this. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Was that slow enough? I'm trying to. That's my Barry White approach there. That's uh, oh, nobody does Barry White like Tony. Tony is Barry White reincarnated. Um, real quick, we're halfway through this hour. I just wanted to touch base on this before the whole hour is gone. Yeah, in the opening comments, Google will pay you $20 an hour just to sit in a self-driving car. It's a job that you never knew you wanted, driving a car that doesn't need to be driven for six to eight hours a day. Google is paying $20 an hour for drivers or self-driving vehicle operators to cruise around Phoenix, Arizona, and its suburbs testing out its self-driving cars. I wonder if that's like getting a live tackling dummy. Um, you know, I wonder how that really works. Uh, test drivers give our engineers feedback about how our cars are driving and interacting with others on the road. It can, t- can take and can take control of the vehicle if needed. 
said Brian Torsellini, head of the operations for Google's self-driving car test program. It's not just taking a nap while the car drives you. According to the job description, you'll need to maintain a constant focus while providing ongoing feedback to Google's engineering team. The company is also looking for someone with a clean driving record who could type at least 40 words per minute. Um, new job description, right? Uh, but, you know, maybe we should all... I, I, you know what? If they would bring that to New Jersey, I would do that for the experience. Tom, here's an idea. Can we talk to Google? Can we make it so that... Could we broadcast the radio show out of a self-driving car? That would be cool. And talk about the experience and maybe sit there with some Google engineers and, and, and kind of go through it. How would we do that? Could we stream the show? You'd have to have a, have a head of a bandwidth out of a, out of a mobile. That's, um, that's, that's, that would be quite a feat, right? Actually, no. I can do it through the hotspot on my phone. Okay. And, I mean, we got the remote equipment. Uh, it doesn't take a heck of a lot. I mean, I've done this before. We'd have not, to not with you, but right. with other people. We'd have, to, we'd have to feed it back here to Tony in the studio. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. I didn't, let's see if we can get a hold of Google and do that. That would okay. be, that would be, be kind of neat. Yeah. Make it, and we could stream it and put it up on Facebook, um, on the Car Doctor Facebook page. So, just thinking. But anyway. And you know, when that guy T-bones us, and uh, because there's no driver in the car to avoid it, uh, we'll hear it live on the air. Oh, boy. Um, let's be nice. Um, I think that's the future, but we'll have to, we'll have to, uh, let's look at that. Second comment, you know, here we are halfway through. I want to talk about Jerry's, Jerry's email. Jerry sent me a letter. Jerry's a listener. And, um. It starts off with, first of all, I've got to tell you, Jerry um, says, I have a really strange question for you. I started listening to your podcast about six months ago. The first time I listened to you, I was hooked. I love your methodology to solve problems. It is exactly the same process you use to find software and hardware issues and appliances and their electronic items, my day job. I'm an electrical engineer in my mid-40s working for a semiconductor company as a field application engineer. My job is to support customers with their electrical and software designs. To boil it down, I think I have hit my midlife crisis. I have loved, L-O-V-E-D, cap letters, being a field application engineer for many years. However, working for a company that is getting larger is starting to wear on me. They always say, try to find something you're passionate about. They do, Jerry. And you know what? I don't really think I work for a living. I I go to the shop, I, I fix cars, and I help people, and you know what? I, I do have to vet people. I can't work for everybody, I find, because there's some people that just think the sky is purple, and um, you know, I try, to, I try to deal with the ones that I can. Cars would be the number one answer there. About a year ago, I looked into buying a repair shop locally. However, that was a huge chunk of change, and my worry is that my background may set me up for failure. In particular, to repair a transmission or rebuild an engine, I do not have the mechanical background. The reason I am emailing you is that you always talk about the more complex electronics and cars. Okay, I get it. Jerry, here's the deal. You're right. To own a repair shop at this point in the game, you know what? If you're not playing with the butter and egg money, then yeah, go buy a repair shop. I have no problem with that. But if at the age of 46 you're playing with retirement funds to go buy a repair shop and assuming it will make a profit right off the bat, this isn't the place to be. Auto repair. I'm going to speak from auto repair. I'm sure a lot of small businesses are, are tough. Auto repair is a very grinding, demanding job. All right? I can speak from experience. Trust me. Been there, done that. It's not an 8-to-5 job. It's, it's, it's not a career. It's a lifestyle. I do a lot of research 8, 9 o'clock at night, sitting down, looking up problems, thinking about how things work, how I want to attack it the next day back at the shop. It's just, it's just a common occurrence. It's not, it's not unusual to get, up at, to get up at 4.30 in the morning, quarter to 5 in the morning, get to the shop by 7, 
do a little research beforehand, maybe do a little paperwork. I tend to do paperwork in the morning before I leave the house, uh, just trying to keep the shop up to speed and then work all day and then come home, have supper, sit down, either finish a little bit of paperwork, which I tend not to do numbers at night because I'm a little tired, but I'll do a lot of reading at night and uh, just, just you know, how, how, how was that problem in the shop? How is it going to work out? What can I do to fix it? I think I wouldn't be so worried about that you can't rebuild an engine or a transmission. You know what, Jerry? In a good shop today, in a shop where, I, my opinion, they're doing proper repair, looking for a trans rebuild, we're not a trans rebuilder, looking for an engine to rebuild, we're not an engine rebuilder, is going to go by the wayside. There are less engines and less transmissions to rebuild. It also depends on where you are geographically, what part of the country. All right, in Bergen County, New Jersey, if the ashtray's full, the gas tank's empty, they want to throw the car away if you tell them it needs four-wheel brakes and a set of tires. In other parts of the country where the engine has 120,000 miles on it and it's burning oil, three, $4,000 to put an engine in it is a lot cheaper than replacing the car. But the point becomes, that's not the mainstay of the business. If you're an electrical engineer and you've got the ability to understand complex circuits and, and look at CAN and all the other things that you mentioned in your email, why don't you get a job? As a, as a summer intern or a part-time job, maybe one or two days a week, or, or go work for somebody on Saturday, all right? I'm sure if you presented your stats to anybody, a dealership, a bigger, a bigger business that can support another salary, because there's going to be a learning curve. You've got to take the application of the electrical information and apply it to cars, and you've got to go back to school, which something clearly by your email you'll be glad to do. You can really get a taste of what this business is about. I'm not trying to discourage you, not in the least. You know what? I think life is not a test run. I think we're only here once. I think there should be no regrets, but I don't want to see you hurt yourself financially, okay? But I also want you to get a taste of what it's really like because, you know, it's kind of like dating, all right? <laughs> um, when you're dating, uh, you know, everything is hunky-dory and you're on the honeymoon and it's it's love and, you know... Um, everything is just sailing right along. And then you go through the marriage, you know, you go through the wedding and then you have the honeymoon and sooner or later, somebody leaves the toilet seat up and the honeymoon period is over. All right. And sooner or later, you're going to find that out about auto repair and you've got to decide, is this really it for you? I know a lot of guys in this business and even though they gripe and complain about it, they still do it after all these years. And I don't think it's because they're trapped in it, because the guys I'm thinking about are so smart, they're smart enough they could go do anything else, but they choose not to because they really have a passion for fixing cars. If you have a passion for fixing something, Jerry, if you have a passion for doing anything, do it. Just find a safe way to do it so that it doesn't hurt you in other ways or your family. Because i got to tell you, fixing cars for me, it does kind of... Um, you know what? It does kind of twist my elbows a little bit when I can solve something that nobody else can solve. And that's what led me here. And that's what got me up here on the national stage. So I hope that does it for you, brother. If you need any help, any advice, email me, ron at cardoctorshow.com. I'll be glad to talk to you about it. But life is no test run. There's no reason to have any regrets when they stick you in the box and they lower you in the ground. You got you to gotta close your eyes going, damn, I did it all. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's cruising back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the car doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's go over to Dan, San Diego, California, 08 Toyota Highlander. Dan, thanks for hanging on, and uh, Ron and Andy and the car doctor at your service, sir. How can I help? Hey there, Ron. How you doing there, Good. buddy? What's going on? I appreciate you taking my call. You're very welcome. So 
Yeah, so I took my car to Firestone for an oil change, and they told me that there was a leak up above, a small leak up above the CV joint, and uh, they didn't know where it was for me to take it to a mechanic. So I took it to my mechanic, and they figured out that, it, uh, well, they thought it could be coming from the oil filter area, that canister that the 2008 Highland uh, has. Right. So they replaced it, and I thought everything was good. And I, I've been taking it to this uh, mechanics here. They're good guys, and... I trusted him, but on the way home, um, well, I drove the car about 30 miles. I came and parked, and uh, no, well, as I was two blocks from my house or, or so, I wasn't sure because I had my radio on if it started before that, but I heard a rattling sound, and I brought it up and parked it in front of my house and uh, checked underneath, and there was a, a puddle of oil down below, and I checked the oil dipstick, and it was completely dry. So I took it back. Uh, well, I actually had the, the car towed back to the mechanic, which was about seven miles from here, and um, they fixed it and uh, they, you know, they they tightened up stuff and uh, re put the filter in there or whatever, the seal or the O-rings back on there, and it seems to be okay now. And uh, he said that there was no uh, long-term effect on the, the car and the motor. That is my concern. Okay. That this car was a perfect running car before. Um, never had any problems with it, uh, that it's going to be having some long-term problems. And then and then if it does have some long-term problems, how can I hold the mechanic accountable for this? Because he's saying that uh, it wasn't his fault, that he was merely following the um, um, process of elimination, you know, when he... Uh, well, here, let's, fix this. Let's, let's, let's back up a second. Okay. You, you went to Firestone right. for an oil change. They changed the oil. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they told you there was an oil leak. Right. So they don't do the, they don't do any mechanical repairs. They just do they just do oil changes. Right. So well, so then they th- th- then you went to your regular mechanic. Right. And they fixed what? Well, they uh, determined that uh, they couldn't tell for sure because I told them that the. Firestone guy had told me that the leak was coming up be above the CV joint area somewhere. They thought maybe there was a little hose up there that was leaking. They couldn't tell. So when I took it to the mechanic, they uh, uh, uncovered the little uh, cover that you know where the uh, oil filter is, and the mechanic moved it around. He said, uh, it's loose there. It might be coming from there. We can't see any oil dripping from any place else. So they replaced the canister where the oil filter goes on the 2008 Highlander. They got okay, now is this a V6 or a four-cylinder? V6. Okay, so the canister is in the front. Right. The weird part is the canister's in the front, but the CV joint and the axles are in the rear. They're behind the motor. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. It could have been that... That it could have been dripping down from that, well, because the canister's below, but towards the front side. Right. Um, and then it could have been, and it's got like the, it's got like a cover underneath the entire engine, so that I guess rocks don't hit the engine and, and mess things up down, down below there. So it could have been my thoughts were that it was leaking and then coming, dripping, kind of going down this cover area or, be, or on the side of the motor somehow because of the, the, um, the wind hitting it as the car is moving forward right. and dripping down into the okay. uh, TV joint. So, so they did whatever repair they did, and then they came back and they you, they you towed it back and they repaired it again. Right. 
So the noise that you heard from the engine, did you hear it while you were driving, while you were pulling in the in the driveway, while you were sitting there well, idling? Yeah. Well, I heard it as I was coming back, and I uh, uh, I had driven it back from their place, which is seven miles away, and from here I drove another seven miles away uh, to this recreational park where I play tennis. Uh, it's a night, and so I'm driving back. I never checked down below to see if there's oil, uh, any low oil leakage below. So I drove back, and I had the radio on, and I live it like on a hill. So as I was driving up the hill, which is like a couple of blocks away, I started hear, hearing this rattling sound. Okay. All right, I'll tell you what. Sit, sit tight, Dan. Let me pull over and take this pause. When I come back, I'll finish this with you. 855-560-9900. Had to think for a minute. Look at that. Had a misfire. That's a P0302. Ron and Andy and the car doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back, Ron and Andy and the car doctor. Let's uh, go back to Dan in San Diego. Dan, i got about three minutes. So my issue is, you know, did it hurt the motor? All right. right. Where, where the oil leak is and how the diagnosis was handled, I think it was handled poorly on both on both mechanics' parts. Uh, you know, I haven't heard anything about we washed it down, we added a dye, because there's a very simple process for finding oil leaks. It's it's we we would wash it down with some solvent, dry it off, put a fluorescent dye into the engine oil or whatever the liquid was we were looking for, power steering, engine oil, trans, etc. Run the vehicle. Where does the dye appear? The first traces of dye show us. There's the leak. Let's start the process there. Uh, you know, Toyotas do have problems with that generation in 08 of timing covers leaking. They do have problems in and around the oil filter adapter housing. I have seen quite a few cases with the cheaper oil filters, those leaking, all right, and those creating issues. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons... Got to use a name brand filter. Got to use a Wix. Wix is always putting not just a good filter in there, but they're also putting a good quality O-ring in there as well. That doesn't create the leaking issues that I see with some of the cheaper filters on the market. So that being said, you know, did it damage the car? Because obviously that's your big concern at this point, right, right. Dan? Right, you know, right. how, yeah. how, how, big of, how, how big of a diameter of a circle of oil was on the ground? Six oh, inches, eight inches? Maybe, oh, it had to be... At least uh, a foot around. Okay, 12 inches. Yeah. But, All right. But you know what What surprised me is that the mechanic said that they only required two quarts. Back right, in, that's, in the that's, that's very possible. Because, but I mean, because I was driving it for 30 miles, and there was a, uh, see, I, I came and I, and I parked it, and then an hour and a half later I left, and then I didn't notice that there was a puddle there. When I came back, and when I heard, I'm going up the hill, Heard that rattling sound, parked it again, and there was a, a big puddle there, too. And m- where I went to play tennis. All right, well, listen, listen. Hey, Dan. So anyway, he only, he says he only... Dan, in, in, in the short of it, before we... Ha- I'm going to run out of time. I want I just want to hit this. Take a quart. Take a quart of water. Spill it on the garage floor. Watch it expand. You know, maybe something with the consistency of, of, of oil, because otherwise water runs too thin. But a quart of oil is a huge leak, a huge leak. If this was, if this lost more than two quarts, you should have oil running down the frame rail or the floor pan of the vehicle, showing you how big the leak was. My vote is I don't think long-term damage was done from your description. Not with two quarts, sir. But maintain the relationship with the mechanic, so if there is a problem, you got somebody to go back and talk to. I'm Ron Andy and the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. Oh, my God. 